Hi guys, welcome to Mom Jeans and Crime Scenes. I'm Trish and I am excited to be here. It's been a little bit since I've done a story, so I am so excited to share it with you. I did Kristen Smart. It is one of those stories that just, it gets my heart and it's just proof that if we keep sharing these stories that there can there can be good that comes out of that. And so um, I will explain that in the story. If you're not familiar with her, it is so good. There have been some major developments in her case recently within the last few weeks. So it's just, I had to share it. I had to share her story. Um, before we get into it though, let's take care of some business really quick. If you have not already done so and you like what you hear, please subscribe to my channel. It's a free way to support me. And I absolutely just love having you guys here and growing. Also, if you like this video, give it a thumbs up. It just pushes it out there for other people to find it, and that's what I want. And then I love your guys' comments. I love what you have to say about the case, what you what you think about these stories. Like, I love hearing it, so share those things with me. Remember to be kind to me, to be kind to yourself, to be kind to each other, because we are all kind, and I try to respond to messages and to all of your guys' comments because I love them so much. So definitely make sure that you're engaging there because I love it. Okay, so we're going to get into the story now. I have been working on Kristen Smart and Natalie Holloway stories for a little bit now. I had planned on sharing them in the end of May since both women went missing Memorial Day weekend nine years apart. Something about their cases have always haunted me. If you were to ask my dad, he would tell you that Natalie's disappearance is one that has consumed my thoughts for years. I cannot tell you how many countless times I have called my dad to talk to him about her case or to go on a Joran Vandersloot rant. Seriously, I, I hate that guy. But I think the reason Natalie's case really sticks with me is because it reminds me so much of Kristen Smart. And Kristen's case bothers me. I was almost 12 years old when Kristen Smart disappeared. I remember her face on the news and my mom being so upset over this blonde, beautiful 19-year-old girl who had just vanished in California. And every time I see a picture of Kristen, I find myself standing in my living room, 11 years old, staring at the TV, wondering what the heck could have happened to such a pretty girl who seemed to have everything going for her. Because of the recent events, I wanted to expedite the story a little bit. I've not really seen a whole lot about Kristen out there. However, I was delighted to find a podcast called Your Own Backyard, dedicated to her story. You guys, I strongly suggest that you listen to that podcast after the story because it is so good. You will fall in love with her and her sweet family and I suspect once I get this written, recorded, and out there, there will be a significant increase in stories about her. And I really hope so. Because she has needed more voices for the last over two decades. And while I say she just vanished, let me be clear. We all know what really happened. The question was, why hadn't he been arrested after all this time? Kristen was born in Oxford, Germany on February 20th, 1977 to Stan and Denise Smart. Soon after she was born, her family moved back to the U.S. They settled down in sunny Stockton, California. Her parents were crazy in love with their baby girl. She was beautiful. Kristen would soon become the big sister to a baby boy and shortly after him, a baby girl. She loved being a big sister. 
It was described that she was so involved with her baby siblings that she would smother them with attention. And she was so curious about them. She was meant to be a big sister, I think. Now being raised in California, Kristen became the perfect example of what a California girl was. She grew up to be a little over six feet tall and had tan skin and blonde hair. She loved water and spent a lot of her time surfing and swimming. She was also very good at volleyball, but if you knew Kristen, you knew that the water was always calling for her. Even though Kristen was a little shy, she fit in well with her friends and everyone really liked her. And she seemed to like everyone too. Kristen also really enjoyed traveling, something that her family did often. Traveling the world was something that really spoke to her. Something I found extremely relatable as I learned more about who she was. In fact, as I really started researching her, I realized she and I are a lot alike in many ways. And in this, I feel sad that I didn't know her and that she didn't get a chance to really live her life fully because that girl had beautiful dreams and so many opportunities that awaited her, opportunities that would never be sought. One summer, Kristen went to Hawaii to work as a lifeguard for a summer camp. The campers loved Kristen. She was fun, chill, and just super easy to be around. She was able to relate well with those happy little campers. It is no surprise that she quickly became a favorite at camp. Of course, she spent a lot of her time surfing and tanning on the beaches, something she would be remembered for at camp by everyone. Because she was a big dreamer, Kristen wanted to do everything and go everywhere. This made it a little hard for her to focus on just one aspiration. And boy, do I feel that in my little heart. While Kristen was in high school, she worked really hard to get into the UC Santa Barbara. And her hard work paid off because she was accepted into the school. But she decided on attending California Polytech which is known as Cal Poly to the locals. Kristen seemed to have dreams and goals that would lead her on all kinds of adventures. She worked hard in school, both with her grades and with a job as a lifeguard that required her to be up very early in the morning. In fact, she often had to work at five or six in the morning. You guys, I want you to remember that because that little detail becomes important later on, or at least I think it is. I think this little combo of school and work and not having a lot of time made her first year at Cal Poly a little difficult for her. She would say many times that she didn't want to return there the next year. She was eager to travel and she wanted to do a little bit of all the things and see all the world and I really think Kristen was trying so hard to figure out who she was and what her place was in this world and who can't relate to that. I get that restless feeling that her heart felt, I could totally understand that. I feel like we might all have a little bit of Kristen in us sometimes. While Kristen was at Cal Poly, she made a few friends. Not super close friends, but friends she enjoyed being with. Kristen also really wanted to explore who she was, so she dyed her California blonde locks brown and she gave herself nicknames like Marisol or Roxy. And while she was not a big drinker, usually she enjoyed going to parties and meeting new faces. Even though she was enjoying her social life, she still made sure that she stayed in touch with her family. 
at the time, cell phones didn't exist. And so she had to to have like a standing date to call her family every Sunday from her dorm to check in. But one particular Friday, Kristen called home. She was excited to share some big news. You see, a few weeks before this call, she had been working hard in one of her classes, but a test she had taken had not been recorded. She was really upset about this because she had done the work and it was affecting her grade. She had talked to her mom previously about it and how bothered she was by the whole thing. But Kristen was relieved to find out that the test was found and her grade had been corrected. She could not wait to tell her mom about it, so she called home a little early this week. Her family did not answer, so she left an excited message that she had good news and would be able to tell them about it on Sunday. But Kristen would never make that call. That night, Kristen bugged her friend Margarita to put the stress of tests behind them and go out and party. You know, it's the end of the year. It's a stressful time of the year for students, and she just wanted to go play. But Margarita was not interested at all. She was just not in the mood to go find a party. But after a lot of begging and pleading by Kristen, Margarita reluctantly agreed, and the two of them ventured out to find a party together. Because it was Memorial Day weekend and most students were gone, the parties were seriously lacking. They did find one, but there was not a whole lot of people there, and people who were there were like playing video games. It was basically a dud. So Kristen and Margarita walked from neighborhood to neighborhood to find a party. Margarita decided she was tired and wanted to go back to their dorms. But Kristen was determined to find a party and have a good time. So, the two friends agreed to part ways for the night. Margarita made Kristen promise to be safe and gave Kristen the key to their dorm building because Kristen had forgotten hers. In fact, Kristen had left all of her belongings in her dorm. She had no money, no ID, no purse. Her friend knew that she would get back to the building before it would be locked, but that Kristen would not, so she didn't feel worried about giving her key to Kristen. She'd just get it back tomorrow. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Why would she leave her friend that night? I am willing to bet that Margarita has been living a personal hell with regret for leaving Kristen that night. I don't want to sound judgmental. I want to have compassion for the situation. When you're tired and not feeling very good about the situation in general, and just really ready to go home, I'm not entirely sure you should have to sacrifice your comfort and peace to give in to someone who wants to party their little hearts out. And Kristen wanted to party her little heart out. I also believe Kristen probably wasn't drunk when they were separated, but that's purely speculation on my part. She probably believed that her friend would be getting home safe. So Kristen ventured off on her own and came across a birthday party for a classmate who goes by the nickname Swampy. Sporting black shiny shorts, a crop top, and red shoes, Kristen was feeling good about how she looked and was excited to meet new faces and she went around telling people that her name was Roxy. Now there were a few strange things that happened during this party. Kristen's behavior might have been a little bit strange. For example, she pulled a man named Trevor into the restroom and kissed him. Trevor did not know who Roxy was, 
And as he was pushed into the bathroom, Trevor didn't really know what to expect from the encounter. But as soon as they were in there, Kristen touched up her makeup in the mirror and turned to him and asked if she was pretty and wanted to know who she should make out with at the party. I'm sure that probably was a little devastating for Trevor. Trevor got the impression that she was trying to make someone jealous by being in there with him. He would come out of the bathroom only to be encountered by a partygoer named Paul Flores, who seemed pretty upset that Trevor and Roxy were in the bathroom alone together. He wanted to know what happened between the two, and Trevor assured Paul that nothing had happened, and Paul seemed pretty relieved to hear that. Trevor felt like that encounter was really weird, and he felt like Paul was kind of a creep. At some point during the party, there was a loud crash, and witnesses saw Roxy lying on the floor, and anyone want to guess who was awkwardly on top of her? Give up? It was the creepo who confronted Trevor and Roxy in the bathroom. People said that Roxy was really drunk by the end of the party, which I find kind of funny because... Kristen wasn't really a big drinker. In fact, she was so drunk that she was passed out on someone's yard and two people walking home named Cheryl Anderson and Tim Davis found her and decided to help her get back to her room. The walk from the party to Kristen's house was approximately 11 minutes. So they helped stand her up and started walking towards their dorms. Well, out of absolutely nowhere, a fourth person joins the group. Paul the Creep offers to assist him and Cheryl with walking Roxy home. Does it sound kind of harsh when I call him Paul the Creep? Well, let me explain to you all about Paul and you can decide if I'm being a little dramatic, okay? Paul grew up in California. He was a quiet, sort of shy guy. He was smaller built and had physical features that a lot of people would describe as albino-like, which is kind of surprising when you hear his last name Flores. While his father was Hispanic, Paul looked more like his mother, but I believe he definitely had his father's cold heart. Paul seemed to be everywhere, as his classmates would describe him. He would be at all the parties, and people weren't really sure if he was actually invited to these parties, or if he was just crashing them. But no one ever said anything to Paul, mostly because Paul kind of scared them. He seemed to have a little temper, and there is not a girl, not a girl, who had contact with Paul that didn't get freaked out by his very unwanted advances on them or their friends. Usually it was both. In fact, Paul would acquire nicknames unknown to him like Chester the Molester, Scary Paul, Psycho Paul, all through his life. There was really, really good reason for these nicknames, you guys. He tried kissing women, he was known to stalk his co-workers, he'd lurk in the dark at the parties. One time, he was found in a room with a passed out girl doing or trying to do who the hell knows what. Another party goer walked in, like what a freaking weirdo. A female student from Cal Poly reported that a man would call them and harass them. She and her roommates believed it was Paul Flores. Eventually, they would call the police on him because he climbed their balcony in the middle of the night and was trying to peek at them. Paul was extremely drunk and quite scary. Some would say Paul was odd, 
harmless but odd? A female student from Cal Poly reported that a man would call them and harass them. She and her roommates believed it was Paul Flores. Eventually, they would call the police because he climbed their balcony in the middle of the night and was trying to peek at them. Paul was extremely drunk and quite scary. Some would say Paul was odd, harmless but odd, but others would say that guy was dangerous and absolutely capable of rape or maybe even murder. We could talk about his DUIs and low GPA, the fact that he felt all of his classes but an elective bowling class. This does not, to me, indicate a dumb guy, but a guy who wasn't trying. He wasn't there to learn. He was there to creep. I could go on and on, but I think you have the point. Paul the Creep is staying. As Paul the Creep slid his hand around Roxy's waist to help support her, Cheryl and Tim couldn't help but feel a little uneasy about this. Cheryl had a friend who had been forcefully kissed by Paul, and she knew he was usually up to no good. Tim had also heard stories about Paul and did not get a good vibe from him in the least. But they let him help assist in getting Roxy home. Once they got close to Tim's building, he went on his way and said goodnight. Cheryl and Paul were left to get Roxy the rest of the way. Once they got close to Cheryl's neck of the woods, Paul insisted he could help Roxy safely back to her dorm. No problem. Cheryl was reluctant, but gave in. I'm not sure. Maybe she was tired. Maybe she was just a little drunk and was just not using her best judgment. I'm really not sure what the situation with Cheryl's thought process was in this moment because I do not know why anyone would think Paul would be able to get Roxy home without taking advantage of the situation. Paul asked Cheryl for a goodnight kiss. Cheryl declined. Paul kept it up. He wanted a goodnight hug. This made Cheryl super uncomfortable. Maybe this was a flight response from Cheryl. Maybe she was so eager to get away from Paul that she was willing to let Paul get Kristen back on his own so that she could get away from Paul sooner. And I can understand that, I guess, to a degree. According to Paul, he and Kristen continued to walk together until they were close to their buildings. Paul's building was one direction and Kristen's was the other. And I guess by some crazy miracle, Kristen was sober enough to walk on her own and find her own way to her building all by herself. Or at least that is what Paul would have liked for us all to believe. So according to Paul, the king creep of the creepies, he made his way back to his dorm and was sure that Kristen had made it to hers just fine. And that would be that. Or would it? Margarita had not heard from Kristen since the party. Kristen had tucked Margarita's key in her shoe and was supposed to be staying the night at Margarita's, but she never came back. At first, Margarita did not feel like this was too big of a deal. She figured Kristen had found a party and maybe stayed somewhere else. But as the day went on, she started to worry. Kristen's roommate had been gone Friday night, but when she came home on Saturday, Kristen's things were sitting out just as she had left them. By Monday, everyone was worried. No one had seen or heard from her. So her friends called the campus police to report her missing. 
You guys, what happens next is important. This is part of Kristen's legacy, or at least that's what I think. Kristen's friends were dismissed by the police and were told that Kristen was probably camping or something like that since it was Memorial Day weekend. The campus police did not take a report. Her friends then called the San Luis Obispo Sheriff's Department to file a report with them. But they told the girls to call the campus police to make the report because the campus police would be in charge of such a situation. So the girls did, again. This time the campus police did call Kristen's family to see if she was with them or if they knew if she'd gone camping with friends. They had not heard from Kristen either. She'd missed their call on Sunday. So police assured them she was likely camping with friends and would turn up. It would be four days before Kristen's disappearance would be taken more seriously by law enforcement. Four days. It did not take long before Paul Flores became a person of interest. He was not particularly helpful or forthcoming. Police noticed that Paul had a black eye, and when he was asked about where he'd gotten it from, and they very much stressed that this was not the time for lies, and that the truth was very important, Paul would tell them that he got it playing basketball with his buddy. But after following up with this story, police discovered that Paul had the black eye before the basketball game and had told his friends he'd gotten it while he was asleep. After police pressed the issue further, letting him know that his little lie was really a big freaking deal, he told them he heard it while he was fixing a radio in his car. He had three different stories on how he had gotten his black eye that he told different people. Why would you need to lie about that? Also, after interviewing people who'd been at Swampy's party that night when Kristen went missing, they discovered that Creepy Paul, the king of the creeps, made unwanted advances on several women there. They basically learned that Paul was a total weirdo. There were also witnesses who saw a smaller guy and a taller woman who looked like they were wrestling or fighting. There was some kind of a struggle going on further away from where Paul said he'd last seen Kristen. In fact, the witness was able to pick out Kristen's photo and Paul's photo in a photo lineup. There is, there is no way this man, who has a history of trying something with literally every woman he met, would not take advantage of the situation in front of him. And if you ask me personally, I think he slipped something in her drink at the party to make her loopy because her friends said she wasn't a big drinker. So the fact that she got that drunk by herself, I have a hard time believing that. I mean, I could be wrong. It's purely speculation. I don't think I'm the only person that thinks it, but that's what I, that, those are just my thoughts. Also, Paul refused to answer any questions during his deposition. Simple questions. Like, what's your sister's name? What's your favorite color? Nothing. He would not answer anything. And none of these questions were even going to like point to his guilt. Like, he just was not being cooperative. If I was innocent, I would have answered every single question honestly to get myself out of this situation as fast as possible. But Paul and his family, they had zero intentions on doing this. Police knew right away they had the guy who was responsible for her disappearance. They knew it right away, you guys. However, from the very get-go, Kristen's case is botched. 
I could go on and on about the things that happened, but there's literally an entire podcast dedicated to this because there are so many mistakes made and we would be here forever if I went into it all, okay? So for the sake of time, I will touch on a few things that really bother me and maybe at a different time we can really dig into this. Maybe we can even do a live on it if you guys want to, but we're just gonna kind of scratch the surface. But yeah, there's a few things that really bug me about this, you guys. Paul's dorm room was professionally cleaned. It was the end of the year and they allowed his room to be cleaned. The prime suspect of the disappearance of another Cal Poly student and it was allowed to be cleaned. It has been speculated that Cal Poly had done this on purpose. I'm not sure if that's true, but it's truly suspicious. However, there were several cadaver dogs who still were able to hit on a corner of Paul's bed and a trash can from Paul's side of the room. Several dogs, you guys. I also wanna note that Paul's roommate was out of town that weekend. The dogs did not hit on anything on his roommate's side of the room. And it's also worth noting that the dogs did not show interest in any other room as they walked down the halls of Paul's dorm. There was no, no indication those dogs were not interested in any other room until they got to Paul's. Okay, something else too that bugs me. There were witnesses who claimed to see Paul and another man digging in his mother's backyard. By the way, they ended up putting concrete all over the backyard of her house and she would soon rent it out. I mean, you guys, who doesn't want an entire backyard full of concrete? I mean, doesn't that sound like the dream? Who needs grass and garden and all that great stuff when you can just have pavement? Anyways, that just really bugs me. There was a sus planter box though, that was the perfect size for a body like Kristen's to fit in. It was also said that the house was rented out and the new tenants could hear a beeping sound at 4.30 every single morning. It sounded like a watch alarm. Remember when I said that Kristen had to be to work at five or six? Well, 4.30 would have been the perfect time to get up and get ready for work. Interesting, right? Also, a bloody earring was found in the driveway. It was given to police by the renters, but it mysteriously vanished. Like, how do you lose that kind of piece of evidence? Later, it was indicated that they did not believe it was Kristen's earring, although many said she had a necklace that would have matched it, and no one from her family was able to even look at it to make that determination. So, what the hell? We will probably never know the truth about the necklace, the earrings, all of it. Like, we'll, we'll probably really never know what happened to that earring. Okay, this is another thing that really bothers me, okay? The FBI had given the Sheriff's Department permission to dig up Paul's backyard. They had permission, you guys, to dig up that backyard. However, they chose not to dig in fear they would not find anything, and then they'd have to pay to fix the mess. They wanted to save money rather than find Kristen. Now maybe our departments are just severely underfunded and maybe we need to figure out something to do to help that, but that just crushes my little soul. They were so worried about money that they didn't search for her body. 
there were so many errors with searches, you guys. These are also covered in that podcast, Your Own Backyard, and he goes into great detail about what happened during the searches. I will link that podcast because it is so good. Like he did such a great job. I learned so much from it. Yes, you have to go listen to it after this. It's important to note that there was a giant billboard up with Kristen's beautiful face placed close to Paul Flores' mom, where I personally believe she was originally buried, or at least some of her things were buried there. There were people who would come out and pass out flyers demanding justice. There were people who made sure that Paul and his father would know that they would never be able to sleep soundly again, never be able to answer the door without worry, that this would be the moment it all ends for them. These people are the heroes in the story, you guys. They showed up when it didn't feel like law enforcement did. She disappeared on May 25th, 1996. She was declared dead in 2002, and it wasn't really until last year that searches started being fruitful and items of interest had been taken into custody. While they have been mostly tight-lipped about what items had been taken, we do know for sure that electronics like phones and computers were taken in because they had a feeling they would show new evidence on those things. Because again, I'm going to reference your own backyard podcast once more. This podcast really shook Paul and his family up, which likely caused them to start talking on their phones, on their computers, text, social media, all of it. They started talking about Kristen again. And voila, new evidence. Early in April, 2021, Soon after a search was conducted again in Paul's father's backyard, Paul Flores and his father were arrested. Paul was arrested for first degree murder of Kristen Smart, you guys. Finally, police believe that Kristen was killed during a rape or attempted rape. It sounds to me like she probably fought like hell. I believe the billboards with her name, the podcasts about her, the people who worked relentlessly to keep Kristen's face in the public, and most importantly, in creepy Paul's face and his family's faces and the local police department's faces, that these things, these people, are the reason that Paul was finally arrested. Those are the reasons that there will be some form of closure and justice for her family. That's why these podcasts are important, you guys. They are. They're so important. Support these. Share them because... That is going to make a difference. And that is exactly what happened with his podcast. It is the reason why Paul was arrested. And I'm just, I think that is so neat. The Kristen Smart Campus Safety Act of 1998 was Kristen's legacy, I think. It requires the community colleges and universities to have some kind of a written agreement with their local law enforcement outlining operational responsibility for violent crimes that occur on their campus and I I'm pretty I think that that is also like dorms anything that would have to do with like campus parties I think it all encompasses that but I'm not 100% sure and if you know more about that law you can totally post more information about it because I think that it is so important and that is something that um good I guess that you could say that came out of all this is that hopefully Hopefully, 
these campuses, these campus police, these local departments, they'll work together. And that's the other thing too. There were so many different law enforcement agencies who had all these different pieces of evidence for Kristen's story and none of them were working together. They all had each parts of these little puzzles and nobody was sharing it. And so, of course, it took this long. That should never happen. And so, thankfully, because of this, that kind of thing will not happen. Like, it, one, hopefully, department is in charge of it and everyone should be reporting to them. At least that's how I'm hoping this act works because that's just crazy to me that they wouldn't work together on this. What? Anyways, sorry, rant. Okay, you guys, please go listen to the stories about Kristen. Learn more about who she was. I seriously just love, love her family, her sweet little family. I just can't even, I can't even imagine. Uh, they are just darling. And you, when you listen to these podcasts, you will totally know what I'm talking about. They're just the sweetest little family. Let your hearts be touched by her as mine was. Because when our hearts are touched, when we get that fire in us for justice, justice will come. <laughs>